Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your almost weekly rhetorical assault in the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. My name is Camille Foster. I do all kinds of great things at a place called Freethink. This is November 7th, so Wednesday. I believe this is dispatch number 120, and I am delighted to be surrounded by a couple of remarkable guys. And I say a couple as in two, because one of them isn't here. Michael Moynihan, who does various things at, well, not various things. I do the various things, but Michael Moynihan does the thing at Vice. But tonight he's doing some Vice thing for the show he does on HBO and he's not here. That's fine. It's, it's weird because, like, we came here a little early because, because he, said, he wanted, yeah. He's like, hey, seven, you know, seven thirty, seven. Unbelievable. So totally, totally, totally flaked on us. But you know who didn't flake? Matt Welch. Right. Editor at Large Reason Magazine. Delighted that you're here, Matt Welch. I, I love and care about you. I feel like I feel like I just saw you because we were together for an extended period. We were at the Reason fiftieth uh, anniversary uh, yes. e- events and extravaganza over there in Los Angeles, California, and we met quite a few uh, Fifth Column listeners. Indeed, over we there. did. I, I kind of felt like I should uh, be playing bodyguard for you, <laughs> coming up to you in human waves like a Donald Trump immigration commercial. Uh, Toward trying to climb Mount Camille, the, the wall caravan. of Camille. It's true. Uh, it's uh, true. Except no, there is there is no wall because I don't need any security. I don't need any security. You know who else they asked about though? Anthony Fisher, who's the politics editor over at uh, Insider. That's correct. Yeah, you got it. See, look at that. Yeah. I'm doing right this with no you know no notes, a, a no net. Of it? Uh, it's 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 both. It's technically uh, Insider and Business Insider, but we are trying to push the branding of Insider. It'll nice. li- it'll live on both sites uh, indefinitely. But we're, we're, we're going as uh, Insider. I knew that. And yeah. do you have Insider.com? We have ThisIsInsider.com. Ah. This is Insider. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't ever tell Kennedy that. That's not going to work out. Is there, is there like some something that like, uh, does, does that spell something this that is I'm missing? In, this is Insider? Insider. Yeah. Oh, this is Insider. <laughs> I, I, it's, I, it's been so long since I've worked with Kennedy and the dick jokes uh. that can be made out of literally everything. I don't oh, wait, there's a dick joke in there. Yeah. I was, I was yeah. thinking apple cider no, but li- li- literally oh, you know, i see and, and you know I'm we obviously we all had our no, time on the independence but like at a certain point um <laughs> uh our, our friend and comrade tim Sophie's tasked me tasked me uh-huh. with going through the scripts every night to and get reading out the, the dick jokes, jokes. Yeah. yeah or if 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 there was a, a really solid dick joke that would be like there'd be monologues <laughs> you know, that, that had multiple and it's oh, like, yeah i was like tim if i take out everyone she's gonna be pissed honestly you know, like, i don't know that there's <laughs> anyone on television like anyone who is better at working in penis humor <laughs> no. than Kennedy. No. no. I mean, she's just incredible. When she does it, I mean, in sometimes it's just remarkable. so elegant. Yeah. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I mean, every. Like the person she's she's sitting across from Rick Santorum, he's got no idea what's going on. Right. Oh, she's just like mystified. Yeah. And it happens, and he's there, and he participates in it. And every and he sing- says thank you. <laughs> and every single uh, uh, politician or name that ends in er, oh like man, Sean Spicer. <laughs> yeah, no matter what, her first thing is Spicer. Hardly know her. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because some jokes never get old. No, no, they just don't. If you repeat them five thousand times, <laughs> oh my they gosh. only get funnier. Yeah, it's true. 
It's true. And that's not even a little bit racist. Um, so somebody needs to put together the Kennedy dick joke supercut, though. Oh, oh my like, God. Think about that. I mean, that would it would never end. <laughs> it would never end. Whoever's got whoever's, whichever one of our fans has a TV eyes yeah. subscription. You could find mm-hmm. these. Things. Yeah, no one yeah. can do this. This is an impossible <laughs> task. I don't want you to do it because it will consume you. Um, there there are a couple of things that I wanted to, to knock out quickly. Um, one, Nathan Dotson, Nathan, a couple of weeks back sent a note and said he would be in New York and wanted to bring by something for the, uh, for the fifth. And he actually came to the office and I happened to be there. And I'm, I'm actually a little reluctant to say this because I don't want to give folks the impression that if you do that, I'm going to come down because I may or may not be there and I might have some other stuff going on, but I did get to meet Nathan was very pleased to, uh, take this from him. It's some sort of single malt scotch whiskey that I suspect, you know, cost a pretty penny because the, the, Canister is nice. What's that? Lafrog? I'm not Scottish. I'm a half Irish person. Yeah, I mean, this well, is I'm, a I'm a, different island entirely. I'm a little Scottish. My great, great-grandfather, Alonzo Tullo. Yeah, the, what does that the, say? The, when you, the O-A-I-G is unpronounceable, huh. I'm sure. Yeah. It, it probably, in, in Scottish, it probably comes out as like a P-H. You know? Huh. La <laughs> Just pronounce it like yeah. someone like stabbing. Somebody. Well, yeah, but it's, mean, a, it's a it's delicious. Yeah, no, it's yeah. it's quite good, and uh, that's that's what we're sipping on. And I, I have to tell you guys that there is, I mean, just tons and tons of alcohol in my office, um, <laughs> and um, one package actually arrived today with like three bottles in it. We won't talk about it tonight. We'll talk about it another day because we, we're drinking this tonight. Um, but um, but we still encourage the Nathan. Crypto. Thank you very much for this. Yes, we we certainly encourage you to send money or, or whatever else you like. But in addition to us getting some gifts from folks, and we're, we're grateful for the gifts, and thank you folks for, for sending them uh, and for supporting this fine program, we, uh, we may also have a, a live event, our first live event coming up in the very near future. Um, Fisher, can you provide some, uh, some details on what the heck this is? Absolutely. Uh, if, if Moynihan shows up, <laughs> we will be doing our first live recording uh, of the Fifth Column Podcast at the legendary Comedy Cellar yes. in the West Village of uh, Manhattan Yes, Lord. on uh, Tuesday, December 4th at 7 p.m. Ticket information will be determined later. Mm. Um, we'll, 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 we'll get that out to you, but, uh, for now you can pencil that in on your calendars, um, pencil because of Moynihan. Yeah. Are no, we, are we legitimate out of the door or how does that work? Uh, you know, this is, this is all stuff that we're gonna have to argue over okay. later. Probably sue each other eventually. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> if, 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 if you dissolve are, the corporation first. Of all, <laughs> <laughs> if we, uh, if, if you're in the New York area, it's, a, it's a small room, but it's a legendary room and, uh, they are podcast friendly. Uh, the comedy cellar, yeah. December 4th. 7 p.m. Is this where Louis C.K. Uh, plies his Louis, trade? Louis C.K. and many other problematic comedians have been known to <laughs> d- drop in unannounced and terrify the uh, the, the paying customers. I've been, on, I've been on stage there before. Are we going to get him? Well, that's the Village Underground. That's the other one. There's, there's, oh, yeah. There, there but they're two, very close. They're right around the block from each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Huh. We should totally ask, uh, ask for C.K. Ask Louis C.K.? Yeah. I mean, I'll put the ask out. Well, I mean, let's, let's not say that it's Louis C.K. There will be a special guest. I don't know that it will be Louis C.K. In all probability, it probably won't. But it will be someone of phenomenal stature. Um, I should say something else, though. Um, and this is something I've been wanting to talk about for a little while now. And, and then we'll get all these things over with. There is an event hosted by Pangburn Philosophy here in New York called the Day of Reflection or something like that. Um a number of speakers are going to be coming and talking about various issues related to race and Islam and the role of reason in our public discourse. And there were a number of very high profile, prominent persons who are going to be participating, like Ayan Hirsi Ali, 
Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, and Glenn Lowry, um, and myself. And uh, as it stands, many of the people I just named are no longer participating. There appear to be some issues with respect to money and previous canceled events that Pangburn has yet to reimburse people for. Um, and even this event, there was a no refund policy effectively. And people had paid $500 for tickets to go to this event to see Um, you, but that's just it at this point, largely. Now, am I worth $500? I'm worth so much more than that. So much more. Like you don't deserve me at $500. Um, but I don't think it's appropriate for the circumstance to have worked out as it has where, Currently, the tickets are five are actually reduced from five hundred dollars. I don't know that anyone has been sort of reimbursed the difference. Um, the there have been multiple changes to the program, and there's a great deal of dissatisfaction out there from people who hadn't been refunded from previous events, from speakers like um, our very good friend Josh Zepps, who participated in some of their Australian events, who have yet to be paid for participating in the program. Pay the Zepps. Um, And it's one of those circumstances where I simply cannot, in good conscience, accept any sort of compensation for participating in this event. My preference would be to simply pull out altogether. That being said, there is an event. Um, There are tickets sold and lots and lots of people have paid for hotels and all sorts of other stuff. My intention is to show up and, and to p- participate fully in the program and to give you all a very interesting program with the folks that are remaining. I am, however, deeply disappointed by the way that the program has been produced and pulled together um, by the business practices of Pangburn philosophy, which I do not think that any of this was malevolent. I don't think that they are attempting to defraud people, um, but there does appear to be a circumstance where perhaps the producers are a little bit in over their heads here. Um, So I say all of this because I want to be very transparent about what the hell is going on. Um, I will be there. Um, If you have tickets and you're going to be there as well, I hope to see you there. Um, But I am deeply sorry uh, about what's happened with this event. Um, And uh, I wish there was more that I could do to be helpful. Um, But the most that I can do, I suspect is say very directly that I think that Pangburn philosophy needs to do right by the people who've spoken there with whom they had contractual obligations to pay them um, needs to do right by the attendees and ticket holders who thought they were getting one thing and are now getting another and certainly needs to do right for ticket holders who months ago now um, were had paid for an event that was canceled and have yet to receive refunds. Mm. Um, so I will be there. Um, it is a bit of an, uh, an unfortunate circumstance. Fisher, did you counsel, there did we you are. counsel him to do it or to not do it? What was your final? Uh, I mean, I, I, I personally said, pull out, not yeah. to make a Kennedy Dick joke out of this, yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I, you know, I, I, Camille eloquently uh, explains his menchiness, um, which is to say, I won't, you know, accept compensation, but I'm going to give people, the, my share of the show that was advertised, I, mm-hmm. I, I can respect that. Yeah, okay. I, I, I personally thought there was a little too much toxicity around the business associated with it. I, I um, still feel that way. Yeah, it's, but, uh, it's a universe of bad I, decisions. Yeah, and we went back and forth. Anyway. We went back and forth on this, but yeah. I think the way you've explained it is fairly convincing. Cool. Thank you. Good talk. Well, let's <laughs> let's move on though, because there there are other things happening in the world. Um, we are recording this the day after the 2018 midterms, and there is a great deal of excitement in the ether uh, about all of this. Um, and as you two gentlemen know, and some of you listening know, I don't really love horse race politics. 
Um, but I'm glad that I have the two of you in the room because the two of you follow these things very closely. Matt, I know you've been on the road and have actually seen this from an angle that a, a lot of people have not, which is from the perspective of third party candidates who are running in elections that they are almost certainly going to lose um, yeah, and likely sure to be did. called <laughs> spoilers <laughs> afterwards. Um, I'd love to to just kind of soup to nuts, talk a bit about the major narratives related to the midterms. Um, and specifically, Matt, I'd also like to talk about um, some of the things as they pertain to third parties. Um, but this is a situation where there were there was all kinds of talk going into the election about a potential blue wave, uh, an overwhelming show of force on the part of the Democrat Party, the Democratic Party, I should say, because yeah, I don't want to sound like uh, Rush Limbaugh or something here. Um, or Strom yeah. Thurmond. <laughs> um, hey, you know. <laughs> This country would have been a lot better if Strom had won. I had some oh, joke. That's a Trent Lott That's joke. A joke. I got it. That's a Trent Lott joke. 2002. Thank you. Old school. I, I, you. Look at this guy. Says he doesn't like electoral politics. <laughs> Trent I, didn't say I, jokes. <laughs> I didn't say I don't know anything about these things. I know so much that I find it all gross. Um, but but this is an election where there was supposed to be a blue wave. Um, instead, it turned out to be something else. Um, and for my money, the best analysis on this was uh, Claire Malone over at 538. Um, I think she got the whole thing exactly right. Um, the, the title of her piece was uh, Election Night. Um, election Night can't be defined by a single takeaway. As she said, writes, the 2018 midterms were without a cohesive narrative. Mm -hmm. There is no single stunning takeaway to grant us clarity about where the nation is headed. And I think that is totally accurate. The whole piece is worth reading. My own read on all of this, and we can we can get into it and talk about Florida and Georgia and Texas, um, is that an outcome where the Democrats now have the House and the Republicans have the Senate. Um, and the president is still a Republican, a very unpopular Republican by a lot of accounts. Um, this is probably not a bad thing. Divided government tends to produce outcomes that Camille Foster kind of likes. Um, but my concern here is that Trump isn't really a conventional conservative. Um, he is an ideological squish. And for him, most of politics is the popularity contest. And there are plenty of things that he is willing to sign on to. And he today in that very wild presser that he Holy had, which we should cow. talk about, mm -hmm. um, seemed to indicate pretty explicitly that he wants to work with people. Um, and it's interesting. I was expecting a bit more heartbreak today. Um, but though so he did say he would go got, to war if certain, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we can, we can talk it was about an all that. Yeah, it was, <laughs> then he fired Jeff Sessions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was expecting a little more heartbreak though, on the part of Democrats who had these really high expectations mm -hmm. because in the three races that were perhaps the most emotional for them, um, Georgia, Florida, both gubernatorial races, and then Texas, mm -hmm. which is a Senate race, um, they managed to lose. Yeah. So well, the Georgia's not completely uh, a foregone conclusion. Not, yeah. a, not a foregone conclusion. In and fact, the Florida, Florida race is perhaps, likely to go back to a recount. Yeah. Uh, the last check, there was uh, less than 60,000 votes separating the two gentlemen there. But let's, let's uh, work our way around um, these issues a bit. Um, and Perhaps we start with the your own appraisals of last night and what it represents. While I don't expect single takeaways, what are your insights related to this at a at a high level? I think that the uh, idea that there's no one story is not just applicable to this election, but it's even applicable to elections in which there's a much clearer picture. Mm -hmm. So it's applicable to 2008. Um, we said, oh, my God, it's a, it's a the per new permanent Democratic majority. Hmm. Right. Uh, 2004, uh, when uh, George W. Bush won convincingly 
and that his majority is upheld. Uh, right in the run-up to that, David Brooks uh, wrote this huge celebratory New York Times magazine about how uh, this is the era of the permanent Republican majority uh, and also the end of uh, uh, small government conservatism as as we know it, which he thought was a great idea. Mm. So that turned mm-hmm. out really good for David Brooks. Uh, high five, David. <laughs> um, so I, we have this uh, incredible um, tendency and uh, childish desire to want there to be uh, this moment of clarity in a country that is a plurality country. Hmm. We don't have a 50% anything in this country right now, I don't think. We were talking before um, we started rolling tape about the uh, debate that you uh, uh, watched with David Frum and Steve Bannon, Hmm. and in which, uh, as you presented, I haven't watched it, uh, uh, Bannon says that the big question uh, coming out of uh, going forward is going to be whether the Bernie Sanders version of version of populism wins, or is it the Trump uh, more Bannon version of populism? And uh, and my disagreement with that as a premise is that nothing wins in in America. Nothing lasts for very long. Hmm. Uh, we we are a fundamentally not agreeing with one another country, and we are the we are increasing the level of not uh, agreeing with one another. Um, there are some good parts about that because that leads to institutional restraints. Uh, but when that at a time of of kind of atomizing uh, distrust and metastasizing, I'm obviously not drinking enough if I can pronounce these <laughs> words uh, carefully, uh, 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 government, uh, it's a recipe for some bad stuff, too, uh, as as people when they don't get what they want. I mean, we saw the, um, the 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 kind of shrillness of reaction of of people throughout uh the last 24 hours and 48 hours and things, you know, whenever Ezra Klein doesn't get what he wants, he wants to rip up the government and start over again <laughs> and say it's the Constitution's fault. Uh, you see this kind of constantly, uh, uh, which is bad. And the, uh, another flip side to that, I realize I'm, I'm kind of throwing some, some mud at the wall here, but it, it goes to what I, I watched when I went down to uh, hang out with Gary Johnson, who got um, like 15 and a half percent of the vote. Um I've uh, got half of the amount of a completely unknown Republican, Mick Rich, hmm. um, uh, in a three-way race. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't imagine if he'd run as a Republican, he probably could have won that. Uh, it would have been competitive if there was a two-man race and he was the second man. Might have still lost because uh, uh, New Mexico is a three-to-two uh, Democratic state. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the early voting that had happened, even by then, this is 10, 12 days before the election— and I think this is a significant number, is that um, 15% of Democrats up until that point had already voted. 15% of Republicans had already voted. In New Mexico, and this is pretty consistent throughout the rest of the country, it varies a little bit. Um, so uh, there, let's say 45% of the, of the population is Democrat, 29% is Republican, 22% is independent or you know declined to state, whatever, uh, and then maybe one or two in, in the smaller parties. So, but of the non Democrat, non-Republican, they weren't vote. They hadn't early voted at a, a rate of 15 percent. They had early voted at a rate of 7 hmm. percent. Um, this says to me, uh, I think actually is something kind of profound, which is that we are motivated to vote right now based on our level of hatred for the person who we think is either despicable uh-huh. or is going to hurt us or both. Yeah. And when you do that, when you're going to the, the booth like that, um, you are not going to spend a lot of time futzing around with third parties because they don't have any power to protect you in any given way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, in the time that I've been watching this, and I covered Ralph Nader in 2000, so I've been paying attention to uh, third parties for a long time. Um, 
it'd be interesting to look at the comparative numbers, but this might have been one of the biggest last ditch nosedives of third party polling that I have ever seen. Wow. Um, which happens usually in uh, close contested elections, but it also happens in high passion, fuck the other guys elections, which yeah. this definitely was. Phil Anderson, uh, to, to cite one example, up in Wisconsin where Scott Walker was bounced out, a big deal. Phil Anderson had been polling at 4.2%. There'd been eight polls of the guy done, and he was always up there, and it was a total toss-up race. No one knew it was going to be. There was a less than a percentage point, generally speaking, in between the two candidates. Uh, come election day, 0.8%. That's a collapse. Um, dude, I, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, you know, it, it, it never gets me into trouble before when I say things I shouldn't say on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing inexplicable laugh. Uh, but he sent me a text like, what the f WTF is going on uh, today because all the libertarians were crashing and burning. I think that speaks to something that is uh, negative Negative, not just in the, for you know from a libertarian or a third party or political competition point of view, but um, I think we're in a bad place when we're vote when we're voting based on this sense of total hostility and or fear, legitimate and otherwise, um, towards the opposing team. And mm -hmm. I don't see that cycle um, uh, lessening after this election in any way, particularly since Trump decided, you know, the writers had left off Russia for a good month there. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah. like, all right, well, we're done with this. Good. Let's fire sessions. Let's hire some rando to be the attorney general, uh, you know, uh, uh, uh guy here. We're going to be way back in it. So, uh, we, we are going to be in, I think two years of whatever happened the last few years is going to be more in the next two. Fisher, I, I want to talk about some of the specific races because I suspect there are some insights there. But from a global standpoint, I mean, the depends on who you ask. I saw um, uh, Van Jones on CNN mm -hmm. have these schizophrenic responses to the results uh, last night, initially describing the circumstances heartbreaking mm -hmm. um, after he's seen some some early results. But after the Democrats had secured the House, he described what was perhaps not a blue wave. It's a rainbow wave uh, talking about the party <laughs> becoming younger, browner and cooler. I, I, was, I heard cooler. that. Cooler. Yeah. Um, but I, I've also seen uh, Bloomberg, um, a piece there. The headline was Trump's gamble on fear and division pays off with GOP Senate wins. Um, I don't know if we can mark this up as sort of very good for conservatives because it wasn't much worse, or if we can mark this up as very good for Democrats because, I mean, they did pick up a number of seats in the House. I mm -hmm. mean, it's a pretty it's a pretty strong showing by any other standard. It just seems that perhaps some of the air has left the room because of the particular places where they didn't win. They're, they're, it's absolutely true. And uh, I think that Part of why Democrats are kind of over celebrating about the House, because this is far from a historic loss for uh, an incumbent you know, right. in, the, in a midterm. Incumbents usually lose in the midterm. I think I think I saw a list that this is somewhere like 10th or 11th uh, as far as the amount of seats lost in the House for an incumbent. So hardly historic. But the, the, the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings threw a wrench in the machinery. Everybody was sure there was going to be a blue wave right. before that. And then it was a toss up. People, people thought the Democrats overplayed their hands. The Republican enthusiasm surged and it stayed high it was, it, on both sides. You know, there was a huge, uh, you know, boost of voter enthusiasm. So, yeah, they picked up uh, a bunch of seats in the House and they, they solidly controlled the House. They lost seats in the Senate and they lost um, several races, like the high profile races, pretty much all of them. What Democrats, I think, are missing out on, like I think their big victory was not the House. It was state houses. Yeah. Right? Mm. They, they, the Republican governorships 
I think it was like, you know, 37 before yesterday. Uh, and I don't know the exact number now, so I'm not going to give you the red number, but they, they, they want a ton. And, and they, 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 they knocked out Scott Walker, who six years ago was a, you know, five, you know, top five re Republican front runner for the presidency. Um, the New York State Senate, which hasn't been controlled by Democrats in, a, in more than a generation, is now solidly controlled by Democrats. And they have a Democratic governor. He's horrible, but he's a solid Democrat. <laughs> what we really need is New York to be more Democrats. Yeah, so well, I mean, that's going to be great. But, you know, it, they, they, we, we will probably be all bankrupt from the amount of spending, but <laughs> we will probably get legalized weed. And we will probably get, uh, you know, a couple of other, you know, modernizations to the criminal justice code. But the, 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 the state, you know, more politics affects people locally. Totally. And Democrats are not making a big enough deal about how much they picked up in state. Houses. And yes. that, also, that also gives them a bench. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they, they're yep. under Obama. Their bench got wiped out. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the uh, the pickups of the uh, O'Rourke thing down in Texas. Right. I'm not going to say a Beto or Beto or all this kind of <laughs> stuff just because I watched uh, MSNBC, which I'm uh, happy to go on to that cable network. <laughs> Whenever, whenever I'm invited. Um, but uh, it was amazing how first person he, they, they were uh, with him uh, mm. last night uh, and like how much of the narrative was about. It. And you understand it. I mean, he has. I, I was thinking about this in, in watching uh, the extended. Uh, if you're going to start talking about him like as a rock star and his charisma. No, I, I mean, no, he, he, I start to get nauseous. He has something political that political superstar makes me sick. He has something that Obama has, um, which is and this is the, it, <laughs> listen, Camille is literally squirming at this shirt. Right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this to help you understand your own sense of loathing mm. because he gives in the way that he presented in his, you know, F bombing uh, oh uh, closing speech and all this kind of stuff. He makes he gives. Gives, uh, Democrats, his fan base, a sense of we are going high while they are going low, even though part of his appeal is precisely how uh, much of a, of a partisan lightning rod he That's is. That's right. It's yeah. not it's actually it's not really dependent on what his actual policies are, which I think I've never seen discussed. Yeah, I mean, I've seen discussed more in reason mm -hmm. uh, over the last uh, several years. I've interviewed him a bunch of different times. He's uh, more interesting and more more centrist in certain ways than a hell of a lot of other people, uh, more libertarian leaning even on some uh, some things. But that wasn't part of anything with well, the, right. way, the way he presents it. He makes people feel good about themselves. I'm part of the team that's going to rise above politics and not these, you know, false choices between this and that. Um, yet um, at the same time, his selling proposition is and you flock to me because the other guy is such a goddamn troglodyte. Uh, and to do that is it takes a certain amount of political skill. Obama had it. He had it. It makes you, your skin crawl. And rightly so. Uh, but that also says to me, well, we're, we haven't seen the last thing. Fisher, I see you uh, burning to say just something insightful. Quick, can I can I just mention yeah, quickly? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the, the concession speech where he drops an F-bomb. Um, people, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. There is a wind up to that. That's he about drops two and a half minutes in a lot of speeches. It's two and a half minutes long. Yeah. He knew he was going to do it. Absolutely. He was contemplating whether or not to do it. He nearly did it three times. It is the most ridiculous and absurd thing I've ever seen. He's ever gutless ever. No, I'm I'm just being I'm being hysterical now. You're, winding, you're gonna can, you're I, can wind, I just say that, that I don't you're like winding him. up and you're that, gonna use an f bomb. Can I just say can I just say I don't like him? That can I just say that that speech was Obama at the 2004 DNC. 
with, with the same level of of like a self conscious uh, yep. presentation. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, is that the is that the red states, blue states? Yep, yep. Yeah. yep. That that's that that was Obama's coming out on the national stage, and that is literally what like that and some speech he gave before he was even in the state senate opposing the Iraq War. Why he's president? Both yeah. that, that's those are that's those are what introduced people to him. I think Beto's inability and, to commit to to just saying fuck on that stage that night should a, be it's, disqualifying it's for any sane person. But he the fact that he lost means he can run. And mm-hmm. that's a plus for the Democrats, because the Democrat, if you look at the, the, the 20 potential contenders, none of them, ha- even if it's fake charisma, yeah. none of them have any, anything approaching the charisma. Yet. They don't make they don't make uh, uh, voters feel that way. And I think I think a, a revelation in the Trump era and Trump is really uh, canny and conscious of this. And we saw this uh, in his press conference today, too, which was at turns totally entertaining totally entertaining it was it really raised the bar like for, for batshit crazy uh, press conferences this one really dude like, uh, I, I, i'm telling you donald trump gives good tv sometimes man he recognizes that people consume politics uh as uh as uh, entertainment or as a, as a sort of a cultural expression uh way more than they do anything about policy and, and this kind of stuff like that is the the central thing so whatever o'rourke is doing um also plays into that, mm-hmm. and similar to Obama, and in a way that Kamala Harris can't can't get nope. anywhere near that, nope. or even Elizabeth Warren. Anyone, they you, you're not making someone feel a certain way about themselves. It's, if you are a Trump fan, you feel a certain way. You're laughing. You're 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 having. You're, it's when you see him, Jim Acosta. <laughs> speaking of which, uh, right before we we uh, uh, hit the uh, tape here, they said that they suspended his uh, White House uh, press pass after the performance. The he, White House did. Yeah. He, he, oh uh, wow. Jim Acosta wanted to get suspended from. So from bad. The White House. He wants this. Just so the same Way Milo yeah. wanted to get thrown off Twitter. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, he yeah. needs that. This, he a needs nas- this yeah. is going to be a national cause. Yeah. I mean, I can I can only imagine. This I, is, I, might I, be I, the only thing that gets covered on CNN tomorrow. I actually looked at Jim Acosta's Twitter bio for the first time today, and oh, no. it said something like hashtag Real News. <laughs> i thought you were gonna say hashtag blocked by donald trump no but that's that's coming next that's probably. that's yeah. all, that's the yeah. second best thing that anyone can add to their twitter bio um well wonder how we should play this well let's stick let's stick with the with this for a minute i do want to talk about that that press conference today just because it was so friggin insane um but maybe we could talk a little bit about some of the specific races um or at least we'll flag them um the florida gubernatorial race where you had uh desantis versus gilliam gilliam who um this is a race that kind of descended into the gutter pretty quickly um, there was that moment where um, DeSantis said something about monkeying it up, and this became an obvious racist dog whistle from the standpoint of many. Um, not really Camille, but what else is new? Uh, but in either case, Gilliam tried to ride that really, really hard, going so far in one uh, Daily Show interview talking to Trevor Noah to describe <laughs> DeSantis's book as a defense of uh, slavery. What is, um, what is the book? Dreams from Our Founding Fathers, First Principles in the Age of Obama. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the book. Yeah. It's it's like a stupid book that you write when you're a politician. There is no defense of slavery in the book from everything that I've seen. Um, it's just at this point, one, it's one of those things where in the debate he was using those lame lines that got massive applause. I'm not saying he's a racist, um, but all of the racists think he's one. Right. Um, and a hit dog hollers 
okay. I, I suppose that, I, I suppose that works for you. I didn't understand. Debate. I didn't understand um, that line. Everyone's like sharing it on. Twitter. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm, they, they didn't understand I'm it not, either. I'm not from what's, what's important to know here is that it's unfortunate that we don't live in a world where they can all lose um, because that's what I would have wanted in that, in that particular well, race. In Florida, certainly what I would have wanted in uh, the Texas race. In Florida, they're still all losing as far as we know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everything's, they have to win by more than a uh, half a percentage point. So they're right. all kind of uh, hurtling uh, there towards. Uh, so that towards Florida vote, that Florida vote is is looking like it's going to go to a recount for sure um it, it, his DeSantis lead had dwindled to 60,000 um but we'll we'll have to see uh what what comes out there um the Georgia gubernatorial race uh Kemp versus Abrams uh, a lot of folks had pinned their hopes on Abrams being able to win the state for the Democrats become what the first black woman governor yes, of in American Georgia? history um in American history that's what i understand yeah, yeah, black female true? yes oh, yeah okay I'm not really sure why that sort of thing is important to people, but that's just me because I think people are people. Sorry. Well, so, that is a very controversial it, perspective. It, it, you're, not, you're not into the cooler, rainbower. I know. I know. Uh, um, but she's yet to concede defeat there. Um, and that is a race that's not quite as close, but is still pretty close. You got to win by majority there. And uh, last I looked, it was like 50.4%. Yeah. Uh, so it's close. Got a libertarian spoiler, Ted Metz, one-eared yeah. year, one well, Ted. Also, at zero Ted had like almost 40,000 40, votes there, right? Uh, he was at uh, 0. 0.9 percent. And, this, yeah. and I actually think that this is not a crybaby point. The fact that uh, Kemp is the secretary of state and in charge of the elections and disqualified so many uh, Well, this is interesting, yeah. And that there's so many provisional ballots. Uh, absentee ballots. There, there, there's, there's, a, there, there are ballots being counted all over the place, and there's, you know, a fa- there's a reasonable argument to be made. It's not hysterical to say that there was legitimate disenfranchisement. Coming. Well, this is it's interesting. The the disenfranchisement point is one that's been made a bunch. Um, the question, however, is is it a circumstance where because Democrats were using it as a rallying cry, mm-hmm. not only in Georgia but across the country, yep. the specter of voter disenfranchisement, North Dakota with all the Native Americans, almost, was almost certain something that was driving people to the polls. Mm-hmm. Um, so one wonders, um, what is the net effect of that? I don't know that I've seen any research that suggests that mm. in general, those kinds of programs are particularly effective. Maybe not, but um, also in the modern era. Kemp's response and was... And here, it's it's not really, it's not quite clear how important, how significant that was. Kemp did not say, how dare you? I have a man of integrity. Mm-hmm. I would never disenfranchise voters on purpose. What he said was, Abrams wants to send illegals to the ballot. <laughs> right? That's what he said. Sure. He, he tripled down on it. Yeah. yeah and the, which uh, also points to one of the races that I'm happy, uh, happiest about. I, I had tried to start, and I think only like Jen the Libertarian and, uh, you know, Blue Shear and a couple of our listeners <laughs> ever picked up on, uh, which is uh, vote against douchebags uh, mm. a hashtag. I firmly believe it, uh, this might contradict what I said earlier about voting, you know, against people that you hate or fear. But some people are just total douchebags. Like mm. Bobby Menendez is a fucking douchebag. Yeah. You should vote against him. They didn't. Duncan Hunter, San Diego, douchebag. Steve King, Iowa, douchebag. Racist yeah. too. Pete I, King, I, New York, douchebag. Douchebag. Uh, all these people, douchebags. You should vote against them. Sadly, all of those people won. But a guy who is one of the biggest douchebags in the country, Chris Kobach, Secretary of State, Mm-hmm. And he's in the Kemp mold in that this the sort of uh, modern version of conservative Republican uh, anti-immigration secretaries of state who are hunting after the the 
ever elusive uh, threat of illegal immigrants voting on a mass scale, mm -hmm. uh, two to five, three to five million, as uh, Donald Trump and Chris Kobach had alleged after the 2016 election, which is insane. It makes no sense. It's a lie. It's crazy. Um, so Chris Kobach has been looking for these as the guy who's in charge of Kansas elections for the last, uh, you know, six, eight years um, is just famous for never finding any and losing almost every court case that he's involved with. There's something um, odious about the pipeline between uh, those types of secretaries of state who are at the leading edge of this stuff, which I think does, uh, I think courts have legitimately found that it is uh, blunting people's ability to vote who should be able to vote mm -hmm. uh, and not, then there's not like a corresponding benefit. There's not, you didn't save us from X, Y, and Z in the process. You, you know, you disenfranchised some grannies and some college students um, and you caught nobody or, you know, one or two people. It's really a, a, the, a tiny amount. Mm -hmm. And, and the pipeline between, the 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 dudes and and those jobs and like okay cool we're going to be the governor now um, I think that's legitimately troubling as is their influence Not, on, nodding my head in agreement on the yeah, uh, on uh, <laughs> on the census uh, uh, and there's uh, various lawsuits and this has kind of fallen out of the news but uh, Chris Kobach was actually a pretty influential on hey let's drop let's uh, reinsert uh, the question on the uh, the decennial census of whether you're a citizen or not yep. in a very very deliberate attempt and they're and they're open about this um, in their correspondence with one another mm -hmm. if we ask that question that means fewer illegal immigrants will be counted and if that happens they won't show up on the census and if they don't show up on the census then those states won't be apportioned as they should be according to the constitution but they won't be uh apportioned uh, 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 congressional seats as a result. This is a, a pretty naked power play and against the original meaning of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So this is a category of politician. Kobach is, is super nasty. I don't know enough about Kemp. I, there seems to be a lot of smoke around uh, his uh, uh, activities that I, I presume that there's a bit of fire there. Um, but that's a whole category of, of largely Republican politician. I, I think it's nasty and I root for them actively to lose. The, and there are two things that I would add to that. Um, one is that when it comes to the sort of baseline of requiring IDs to vote, um, most voters, it seems, across the country tend to support something like that in the mm -hmm. same way that they invest the franchise with a great deal of importance for themselves. The, it, it stands to reason that they also think that people ought to be who they say they are when they are, in fact, voting. Short which, interjection. Did you mm -hmm. vote and did you use your ID? I did not vote. You vote? I voted. I did not use my ID. Did not use my ID at all. I've never yeah. used my ID. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. So there's there is that, um, which I think is separate and apart from some of the shenanigans where people are getting thrown off of the rolls en masse right before an election, that sort of thing, or where polling places are being shuttered again right before an election. Um, I have, however, seen some stories uh, in the course of the last year in the run up to these midterms um, where the talk about disenfranchisement is totally sensationalized and completely ridiculous and there isn't any there there, but there are certainly some other circumstances where I've seen things that are a bit troubling. And I think in Georgia, um, there's some stories there um, that seem to be somewhat substantive. Perhaps we could just a brief moment of, of, of we might be able to agree and only brief because it'll get boring. Mm. I think that it's you, there is no argument to say that there is more evidence of voter disenfranchisement than there is of voter fraud. Like more people who tried to vote or tried to register to vote were uh -huh. not allowed to uh -huh. than people who are not who they say they are or illegal immigrants or convicted felons pretending not be convicted felons trying to vote. Yeah. Um, but I would also add 
that when I've talked about, and, and I will freely admit that with the exception of kind of the Kobach uh, rabbit holes, which I've gone down for the last uh, year and a half, a little bit of, you know, the last 10, 15 years, basically since Bush versus Gore, there's been uh, both sides broadly have been accusing each other of voter fraud uh -huh. and this kind of stuff. You know, the Breitbart side, it's like, it's all, uh, meaning Andrew in this case, uh, it's all acorn, you know, trying to come up with illegal votes in Chicago and this kind of right, thing. Right. People said that the Bush people were stuffing ballots. Who's the name of the guy who just writes a book every single four years? Uh, the progressive journalist, Greg Palast. He always has a book out about how, you know, they, you know they're completely uh, ripping up your rights and the next election won't count. Uh, <laughs> Hugh Hewitt had a book, like if it's close, they can't cheat. That was one uh, <laughs> So like my <laughs> my tendency uh, in, in those situations, and I don't say this as a brag, I say this actually as an admission of a of a character and professional uh, defect is that when there is such conviction mm -hmm. about um, completely opposite things, I tend to put my hands over my ears and say, la, 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 a lot and go pay attention to something else. Um, however, uh, when asked about it again, uh, usually on MSNBC, which is the place that that uh, that has been more interested in the questions of voter fraud over uh -huh. the years, yeah, yeah. I have always said. Uh, and this is a segue into something that happened on Tuesday. I've always said, you know, if you're really, really interested in voter disenfranchisement, the first thing that you can do is start with the half a dozen states out there, starting with Florida, mm. that uh, prohibits the right to vote among people who have already served out their felony sentences. Mm. Ex-felons should be given the right. Like one of the first three things that I wrote for Reason uh, magazine online, like in 2002, was about how ex-felons should be given the right to vote. That happened in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people out there, mostly Democrats, who are wringing their hands uh, about uh, what happened in Florida or, you know, it's always a recount there and you can never get the dreamy progressive that you want. But you know what did happen in Florida is that what's like more than a million people yeah. um, uh, who previously had been disenfranchised are being enfranchised. That so much dwarfs whatever Mickey Mouse bullshit mm. uh, that the Kobach camps of the world are doing there. It's a beautiful thing. And hopefully it leads to the eradication state by state of similar laws, um, because if you've served your time, you should be able to vote. There's no argument against it. A less publicized amendment that passed in Florida yesterday was uh, one, it's a little more complicated because there's a bunch of things in the amendment, but one of the, the, the big, the big uh, takeaways was if um, the legislature changes the uh, sentencing guidelines or the mandatory minimums for a certain crime and someone has already been convicted of that crime, they are no longer subjected to the old minimums. So if you're if you were given a 20 year to life sentence for something that is now a five to 10, you are no longer subject to the 20 year to life sentence after you've like presumably you've you've served out that. Uh, time yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 just that they don't the, the minute the, it's the, the whole point is not to say, like, let's let all the murderers out of jail. It's to give people discretion to say, is this person reformed? Is this person been a model prisoner? Was this person overcharged? It's giving a, a certain amount of autonomy back to the judges and to the parole boards. I, I would I would say, Camille, you referenced or we both, I guess, talked about the, the Jeff Sessions thing. And you also you referenced like what can Trump do with Pelosi? Mm. Um, I don't have a lot of faith for the stuff that people were talking about just in the last 24 hours on this topic or 18 and whatever it's been mm -hmm. like, oh, it's going to be infrastructure week all over again. And this and that like they can they can agree to. Uh, you know, do the, this kind of trade restriction or that kind of thing. I don't think those things are likely uh, and nor do I think that they're desirable from my point of view. Mm -hmm. um, what I think is more possible now, particularly in a post Jeff Sessions uh, era, 
is that we're much more likely, I think, to see actual sentencing reform. Uh, the Trump administration has signaled to our friends who are in the criminal uh, ref uh, justice reform movement, like Lauren Krasai, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. that they are more, and this is led by Jared Kushner. That's um, right. Uh, they are more interested in, in more than just prison reform, which is the bill in front of them, but they want to go uh, to actual sentencing reform. Yeah. And a roadblock to that was Jeff Sessions, who's a an old uh, you know, a retrograde, tough on crime, drug warrior type. Um, I think that there's a there's a really strong possibility, especially given the heroic work by Kim Kardashian, mm. um, uh, making Donald Trump feel great about pardoning some I people. I thought you were going to say something about Ray J. I'm glad you didn't. I thankfully it's <laughs> also heroic. Yeah. Don't know what you mean. Uh -huh. uh, uh, <laughs> that that is the most likely place that we can see that that type of uh, activity, partially because there's some stuff there he could do with a stroke of a pen. Um, but also they have signaled this as a desire and Sessions was a roadblock. And who knows what the new guy and how long he'll last if he uh, has much of a brain. I've already seen some reporting that he's just kind of a meathead from central casting, unquote, which is the, always the, the horrible tell from the Trump administration. Hmm. Um, like, he looks like he should be uh, that person, uh, but that he's kind of like a, 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 a knee jerk um, uh, attacker of the of the Russian investigation. Um, All right, no, that's that's absolutely true. He's written op eds uh, for CNN and other places saying that as recently as mid-2017, after he was made the chief of staff, that Mueller has already exceeded the scope of the investigation and that it should be shut down immediately. He's already on the record saying that. Mm -hmm. So, Although, although does, does anyone see that happening? Because Trump actually tr moving to shut down the investigation. I mean, getting rid of Sessions, he's wanted to do that since like almost day one, one session, recu Sessions recused himself. But at this point, it, he has a circumstance where the Democrats are desperate to get some sort of investigation going. In fact, they're desperate to get multiple investigations going with their new authority being in control of the House. The only thing that seems to be holding them back is the fact that they could be seen as overreaching if they were I, to do this. Don't, don't in think a, that's in holding a, them back. In a universe. Well, I, I think there's at least amongst the leadership, there is open discussion of the fact that they don't want to, to simply try to impeach the president straight away for nothing. Did you see um, the uh, did you see this is on point the uh, the uh, Mitch McConnell uh, press conference today? He had a phrase. I think it was called presidential harassment or harassment of the president. Um, uh -uh. It was very skillful because oh, it, sticks, it sticks in your brain a little bit, even though I might have mangled it a little bit. Um, <laughs> saying used that, that before, actually, now that I think about it. OK, so uh, maybe I'm not as observant to cocaine Mitch. But, <laughs> but he's like 20 years ago, uh, we uh, Republican Party went in for some presidential harassment yeah. and it kind of blew up. On he's, us. He's, uh -huh. He said that exact thing, like uh, basically warning against uh, uh, warning Democrats. Right. He's like, well, you know, not, we, we blew it. In, and it's in not the only Republicans saying yeah. that. I mean, Dem Democrats are saying that as well. The thing about it, though, is in a universe where Trump is trying to dismantle the Russia investigation, all bets are off. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is a world in which you can imagine every possible sort of investigation uh, being the, launched Mueller, into. Even as unpopular as Trump is, the Mueller investigation is not popular either. It's not popular, you know, they, but that is the thing yeah. that could actually make it popular. True. Um, you know, but. I don't know, man. I don't know how many detention spits. I, I would not rule anything out. I don't think that it's yeah. unthinkable. I don't I, think it's a nuclear option. My uh, incredibly well-informed uh, total speculation. Uh, 
is that it was unusually quiet on the Mueller front. And it wasn't just a journalistic and political quiet over mm-hmm. the last six weeks. I mean, we've had the Kavanaugh thing. We've had the caravans That's coming right. after us, which we'll stop hearing about if we haven't already. Uh, yeah. Now that they have served their purpose. Um, and, you know, just as a bracket, Trump out there uh, in his, um, I guess, mostly effective uh, rallies to support Senate candidates out there. I mean, they're, they're calib- well calibrated, i.e. you only choose the places where you know you're likely to win and you only choose the places where you've got very good friends. Uh, yes. And, <laughs> and you also say, I'm not as concerned with the House anymore. I'm concerned with the Senate. Yeah, but yeah like, just the Senate. But, they, but I mean, it, Indiana is, is crazy. I mean, the, the, Indiana is super interesting. My, we should talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, Trump at some point is on audio or video saying like, you know, all these advisors tell me I should run on the economy and deregulation and appointing judges. But that's not really interesting. What's really interesting is uh, is making people scared. Uh, that's why I bring up the caravan. Uh, that to me is uh, a, is a level of awfulness. And and, and it's, it's worth pausing just for a half a second just uh-huh. to point that out. Um, it it's awful. You're you're exaggerating a threat, knowing or thinking, uh, 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 supposing that in the closing days of your election, the things that you could be bragging about just don't excite people in their pineal gland as much as uh, giving a completely holy, like uh, uh, unrealistic sense of fear that there are some hordes coming after you and that you better defend yourself on the Mexican border. Um, it's uh, it's it's an awful thing. I'm, I'm with you. I think it's ugly. And, and what's interesting, though, is with Trump, you also have the this addition of a bit of a wag the dog circumstance where he is deploying U.S. troops to the border to yeah. try and confront this onslaught of caravanners who, I mean, how have they not reached here already? Because what? they're on foot <laughs> and, and Mexico's like, a big country. We've been talking, but that's the last time you walked I mean, We've been talking about it for tomato. weeks and it's, it, and they're not, they're not here yet. It's not a 5k, man. It's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, treacherous. It's, 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 it is, it is very ugly. I, I will say, Matt, that, the thing that stands out to me, though, is that everyone really is engaging in some pretty gross fear mongering. Like on one side, it's the the caravanners that are coming for you who are going to take your jobs. It's Gotham City, USA, where we're all um, going to be victimized by some criminal. That is one America that Donald Trump is painting a picture of. And on the other side, it's this is the most important election of our lifetimes. We're all going to die. It's fascism is coming to America. The Donald Trump presser that happened today, that beautiful mess uh, of a of a press conference, the Acosta-Trump exchange is just spectacular for its absurdity and awfulness. And there was a moment there where I was watching this and where Trump sort of walks away from the lectern, like he's angry, you could almost imagine in some sort of actual totalitarian dictatorship, as opposed to the the place where people think, which is so, what some people think we live in here, um, the president saying, okay, kill that man, take him out of here in chains. No, Costa keeps yelling at him. Mm-hmm. And as do the rest of the journalists, and Trump stays in the room. After that, he says, you want to go a bit longer? You want to go a bit longer? I kind of like this. You do get the sense that he kind of likes he this. Does, he, Whatever he's, it is he's, that we're living in here, it's it, it's insane. The, the it's other, crazy, other, but it's not a fascist totalitarian a fa- dictatorship. Not, but other than other than The Apprentice in the two thousands, Trump could be found more often than not on the WWE. Right? He knows he knows how to do this. He knows how to play the heel, and he knows how to like 
become a popular heel. Not every, like it's it's not the Hulk Hogan era every, anymore. People like the heel sometimes. I mean, he scores and, some points and, on and, you. And, and here's here's where he's insane like a fox. Uh-huh. Right, the way just the way he co-opted fake news from Hillary Clinton. Yeah, he co-opted racist today. He sure did. He, when 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 they, when they asked him, "Is nationalist a dog whistle?" He immediately he he we expected it. It was it was planned. He uh-huh. said, "That's he said, a that's racist. racist. He, that's a racist and he, question." And he beat down on sure it did. repeatedly. Sure did. Yeah. Um, it's th- my question to you. Uh huh. Was that question racist? Yeah, no, it's not racist. We should all, what I want from us is for us to use the word racist as, as is reasonable. When things are racist, we're talking about the inferiority and superiority of races. Um, racial essentialism, like on the margins, is that racist? Might be, but often not. And identitarianism, is gross. I think it's dumb, um, but I don't think it's worse when white people like Steve King are identitarians than uh, when black people are identitarians. I find all identitarianism stupid, and I do think there is some something useful about making a distinction between people being racist and people being identitarians. And I'm looking directly at Matt Welch, who called That's, Steve King a racist earlier. Yeah, I that, think I think there's some sloppiness in that. Like, I should it say perpetuates my, the double standard. I should that say in this that country. I that my supposition. Is that Steve King is a racist? I understand. I would concur with that, especially since it's not just about his pro-white identitarianism. It's about degrading other races specifically as being poisonous to the culture of the United States. I understand you. I understand um, your point of view. I, my watching the the press conference and I saw most of it. Um, uh, I haven't really been to South America. Uh, I guess <laughs> I've been I've been to some uh, some islands that, uh, but that's Caribbean. That's your part of the world, Camille. But. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't ever been there, so I'm sh- sure that I'm slurring here, uh, both uh, uh, literally uh, and figuratively, uh, uh-huh. uh, against people. And I'm and I'm also sure that Moynihan, if he would show up to work, you know, like <laughs> he says that he wants to, uh, would be correcting me. But so I just uh, kind of imagine that we're Paraguay without really knowing anything about Paraguay or Uruguay or, or Ecuador here, like or or just like Berlusconi's Italy, right? Maybe that's the the best comp mm. here, where. It's gross. It's it's super gross. He said a lot of things that he said in that press conference. I mean, like 15 things that he said in that press conference. If Barack Obama had said one of those things, we would remember it forever. Mm-hmm. Right. So like the, mean, we're still we still remember lipstick on a pig. Right. Uh, yeah. We still remember, you know, if you if you like your yeah. whatever, you can keep it. Although he did say that a lot of times. But uh, uh, no, the the ring kissing exercise. Like, when oh, my start, gosh. When he's they talking about embrace me, me a love, me a love lost her election, wouldn't embrace me. Yeah, we embrace, embrace you, Jeff Flake. Ah, beauty that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and so as a, I think it's it's important to recognize ourselves or the part of ourselves that is also like many of our fellow voters who we might not necessarily agree with, um, are also consumers of stuff. Because I was watching this. And it was fucking entertaining. It was super entertaining. Mm-hmm. At the same time that it was awful that he was lying about things or just making stuff up. And also that all the journalists, not all of them, but a hell of a lot of them was just like performative. I'm getting my clip. Totally. I'm going to go on YouTube. Totally. I found myself uh-huh. certainly with Jim Acosta that moment, like 
if you had to, if you put a gun to my head and said, choose Trump or choose Acosta, even though I know Trump has the guns, even though I know he has so much more power and so much more malign influence on the world than Jim Acosta ever will. If you just put a gun to my head in that moment, watching this, consuming this entertainment, I would say, fuck yeah, it's Trump. Fuck mm-hmm. Acosta. He's such a bitch. Uh, Look and, at it. And, 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 yes. <laughs> Cosign. Uh, but I, a, a special fuck oh. you to- Were you okay there? Matt yeah, Welch just lost a, a lens. I just poked uh, my lens out of my glass. Furious. Um, uh, and then poked my eye. That's- Jeez. Uh, so uh, Acosta and, and a lot of the you know performative, um, you know, hold me back, hold me back, you know, uh, uh-huh. journalists aside- uh, a special fuck you to all the conservative media that are trying to imply that Jim Acosta assaulted a woman in, <laughs> during that press conference when there was uh, somebody in, in the press department that was trying to grab the microphone from Acosta's hand. And if you like gif the thing with, in 2.5 seconds, it sort of could kind of look oh like Acosta gosh. is wrestling it with yeah, her. But yeah. it's no such thing. Yeah. And fuck all of you. Yeah. Wow. No, it, it really is. It's, you know, this is a, there's a, a segue here. I know, I know both of you haven't watched the, the from Bannon debate, the from and uh, David from and Steve Bannon had a debate uh, in Canada for part of the monk debate series. Um, folks should go watch it. Matt, you talked earlier about the sort of two strains of populism um, that Steve Bannon says we get to choose between. Sounds terrifying, but if folks watch that debate, they will see something extraordinary. Um, at the end of the debate, there was a, a bit of a, it made a bit of news because Bannon won, quote unquote. Uh, but there appears to be some issue with the counting of the numbers. Um, what there isn't any doubt about, however, is if you watch this from a rhetorical performance standpoint, Steve Bannon mopped the floor with Frum. And he mopped the floor with Frum not because he was delivering so much substance. It's because he came to play. He was charismatic and he was interested in trying to level some sort of argument. Um, I want to use the phrase on the merits, um, but at a minimum, he was leveling an argument Uh, from was loaded down with ad hominem for the most part. There was very little on offer beyond um, explicit assertions that Steve Bannon is a racist, that Donald Trump is uh, a treasonous um, monster who is using the office of the president to enrich presidency to enrich himself. Um, And over and over again, these same accusations were leveled. Um, The word fascism was invoked. We were told that we were on the precipice of losing everything. And that's why we must resist Steve Bannon. Um, to which Steve Bannon artfully dodges and continues to advance an argument of some sort. Um, And that, to me, is what ends up happening to journalists who find themselves in a press conference with Donald Trump, where he's on stage and he is performing for you. And you're asking the same dopey questions over and over again. Is there a tape of, of you saying the N-word? Yeah. <laughs> What's the point of that question? Yeah. Seriously. Did, did, the, what he's, you, the answer's going to be no. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Are you laying um, on the ground? And it's hardly the first time anyone's put the question to this, him. It's, this no, isn't it, interesting. It, unless you have that tape. Yeah. Shut the crap up. And you're going to like show him lying uh-huh. within three hours of that. What is the point of that question? I mean, it, it, is, it, is, an, it is an extraordinary waste of time and energy and resources, the opportunity to be in a room with the president of the United States and to talk to him about his policies and the various ways in which they may be failing Mm -hmm. Americans. 
to, to actually take him to task for things that he's gotten wrong. Do you remember 10 days ago? And to, and to squander it? Do you remember 10 days ago when we all cared about a guy named Jamal Khashoggi? I remember that. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that, and he was a journalist and all journalists were up in arms. We have to end our relationship with the Saudis. Remember that was a big, big, big deal. Uh-huh. All right. The Saudis have since redoubled their efforts to bomb the shit out of Yemen. All right. Which we are still actively supporting with money, weapons and troops. This is something that you could bring up, if you, especially if your whole thing is performatively, uh, you know, trying to make out that Trump is a fascist and he's against the press. Why don't you say, hey, remember Khashoggi? Remember the Saudis? Why are we doing this? That's a good question. You know what, Anthony Fisher? We are not the enemy of, pe- of the people. And I just want you to say it. Why do you keep calling us the enemy of the people? My God, that happened. That didn't happen today, right? That was it the, did happen uh, today as well. Did the why are you calling us the enemy of the people question happen after he called Acosta enemy of the people? No, no, he didn't. He did not introduce it again until Acosta right. said that. Right. It, it's important to recognize that that is in its own way entertaining um, and to identify that own thing happening in your brain as you're watching. Yeah. Because at the same time, he is making these, uh, you know, Carlos Cabello, yeah, he didn't like that Trump, so, you know, screw him. The The Republican Party got more Trumpified mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. Absolutely. Look at Lindsey Graham. It belongs, remember, remember, remember that Lindsey party Graham? belongs to him was in a, a way it didn't Lin- before. Lindsey Graham was always kind of somebody who none of us would be a big fan of, mm-hmm. you know, for a bunch of different reasons. And now he's not, somebody we're not a big fan of in a different way, mm-hmm. in an entirely different way. Yes. Uh, and he, I think he might, I mean, there's a lot of speculation that he's angling for a cabinet position, could even be attorney general. But at the very least, he's kind of bragging about the dividends paid by his heel turn. I, and, I wonder about something else. And, and I don't we haven't talked about this before, but I saw um, a, a David Duke tweet um, that was going around where it was like, you go Trump, him. go. No, I don't. But this is the thing. It's on a list. Prominent, prominent political journalists like Max Boot at The Washington Post and various other people thought it was a good idea to to circulate this David Duke tweet where David Duke says, go Trump, go. Your midterm ad is a masterpiece personifying the insanity of our immigration policy. Bravo, Trump. Now, Donald Trump didn't recirculate that. David Duke is nobody. Almost no one cares what David Duke thinks. And anyone who does care what David Duke thinks in an affirmative sort of way, anyone who's waiting for him to endorse something in order to support it, most people don't like those folks. Like most people, Donald Trump, I imagine, doesn't like those people. I think it's not hard for me to speculate about that. Well, well, but, but the retweeting of that sort of sentiment, at what point are you merely amplifying those people and giving them a prominence that they simply ought not enjoy? I retweeted Louis Farrakhan last week when uh-huh. he was talking about Jews as termites. Uh-huh. Should I not have? I don't think that's the same thing. That's not guilt by association. What if I think, I think oh, I, but pointing actually out, was. I was because I, I, I was pointing out, out the Women's March uh, I think, people. I was saying, why aren't you disassociating yourselves from Louis Farrakhan? Because you continue. It's I not think, even a matter. I think uh, if, had, if Donald Trump was actually endorsing hmm? David Duke and saying David Duke is the goat, he's the best. Hmm. Here, here I am posing for photos with David Duke. Find me a place where Donald Trump has ever I said get, anything affirmative about get, David Duke. This, but, but, it's never happened. It the, is, this is guilt by association in a circumstance where the person has said explicitly that they don't like them and they disavow it, their positions. They don't agree with those positions. Is it at all? What, how many times but, but, do you have he, to say that? Though he has said, I disagree with those positions after pretending he didn't know who he was. No, this is, and this is, I think there's, there's, there's an, there's an, yeah, there's, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a stretch there. All right. But I say, but there are positions he has agreed with, like the preserve, preservation of confederate flags and sure like 30 percent of black um virginians so what 
Here's a question. <laughs> this is it's, the, it's absurd. It's is, absurd to point out the, the stupid places where there happens to be some kind of agreement because it simply so, happens so, so, and pretend that that suggests at all that there is some kind of confederation ah, nicely done. between white supremacists, broadly speaking, between white nationalists and a man who refers to himself as a nationalist, Donald Trump, because he believes that America ought to be first. You're totally correct in that uh, Trump has not endorsed David Duke and doesn't want to be associated with that. But uh-huh. is there at, at any point when David Duke says, I like these policies that other that a great many Americans would say are repulsive policies? Do you, do you, do you say like Trump is playing to that crowd at all? Not well, you're, you're adding, I don't know what the advantage of is. If most Americans hate David Duke, what yeah. is the advantage hate, of playing to hate, David they, Duke's they don't, they, audience? They don't want to believe that they are in any way. What state they is David Duke helping, any, they don't helping wanna, Donald Trump win that he wouldn't win? I, they don't want to believe that they're in the Venn diagram of, with, uh, of anything with David Duke. I think, but do you understand think, the question I, I'm I, asking? I, 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 well, I, let's reframe this in, okay. I think in, a, in, a, in a more kind of like a, a journalistic uh, gut check way. Good, good, good. Let's imagine that there are 20 people in the country who we can identify more strongly uh, than not as um, commies, right? Maybe it's uh, CPUSA here. Maybe it's this person. Mm. There's 20 people that we can reliably say they are avatars of this set of beliefs that you happen to not have, uh, uh, not, not share, to repudiate, that think you're terrible. They probably don't have that much juice because we don't live in a communist country, despite whatever crapo trap chop <laughs> brochialism is out there. Uh-huh. Uh, that, but well, you know, but there are people who are identifiable uh, with the extreme of this stuff, and those people, let's say, 17 out of those 20 people. Uh, reacted to a Bernie Sanders speech with crazy enthusiasm. It said, right on, high five, we're finally going in the right direction, Medicare for all, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Is that newsworthy? I mean, yeah, in, this is, this is, is, is audio, it, this is, is not it, video. Is it new, oh, is it newsworthy? Like one, done, so is it newsworthy <laughs> one time? Maybe. Is it newsworthy 24 months later? No, it's not. Okay, especially sure when this. especially when the narrative it's not mere, it's not as though this is just oh they find that interesting it's they find it interesting he's talking to them again dog whistles no, I, I mean I, it, there are certain times dog whistles it, it's absurd no but mm, they're I, not I think, always absurd it I, might no, be it's it's generally think, absurd i think there's a distinction to be made between uh dog whistle claim and more the claim of this broad set of stuff is uh is copacetic or received well in this uh broad or narrow or or you know uh, uh, um, microcosmic group of people mm-hmm. and it's worth reflecting on i think i think the that's not how it's used yeah you're right to be it, clear it, uh that's uh, you know it's it's more like hey i, I got yeah. a live one here with david yeah. well, the aha-ness I, of it is is uh, 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 for sure not helpful in yeah, but like when pat buchanan high fives donald trump for hanging out with uh, vladimir putin mm-hmm. um uh, uh, in in a, a certain way, or when Pat Buchanan high fives Vladimir Putin for uh, railing against the gays because he's mm-hmm. defending uh, Christendom, right? Um, it is indicative of something and worthy of some note because Pat Buchanan is a representative of an American tendency. It's a small one, mm-hmm. although it's, it was a small one. It was a small one, um, but like th- this, this is part of how we. Uh, look and consume and deal with politics. And if there's a preponderance 
a fondness from a uh, a particular segment that is nasty, sure, um, or, or that we disagree with, regardless of any kind of judgment of it. We just happen to disagree with uh-huh. it. I think that's part of the conversation and the kind of looking at stuff. This this is falling into receptive ears over in this corner. Um, it's worth a thought. And I will quickly disagree with myself uh, here or at least contradict it a, a little bit uh, in that I think you saw this habit of mind a lot uh, in during the Iraq war, the run up to the Iraq war, especially hmm. when people were conflating uh, opponents to the Iraq war with international answer. Do you remember that, Anthony? You're probably a member of it. Oh, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> Stalinist group, international because answer. Because they were the workers' world party. Right. Um, so that's that w- guilt by association is a favorite, is it a was, favorite technique. It was for totally, lots of people it in our was politics. totally a guilt by association thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a way to not, to, to uh, de-recognize, not even to unrecognize uh, that um, there might be a broader based opposition to this. It's all fringe and a malevolent uh, fringe who's not just against the war, but on the other side in the uh, memorable phrasing of of uh, Glenn Reynolds. So it can it, it can and will in our pugilistic politics yeah. be used against us. However, I, I don't think that um, purely ignoring it, if it is a uh, trend among a group that has identifiable avatars out there um, is is worthwhile. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. And I I'll say something, you know, yesterday I was uh, I was driving up from D.C., uh, actually from Shenandoah Valley, Virginia to to friggin Brooklyn. I actually got off the plane, jumped in an Uber at like five in the morning. Just my the, plane how, from L.A. How far does the valley go up? Can you take Shenandoah the, Valley? Can you take the valley up like to sort of uh, mid Pennsylvania and then like. I don't think Skedaddle, so. Skedaddle, or you have to go yeah. to the coast. I don't. That, I don't really know. So beautiful. It's 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 big. It's beautiful, but it's friggin' far away. So this was a long ass drive for me. So I flew across the country from um, L.A. to um, Dulles, and then drive from Dulles to like Front Royal, Virginia. Very far. It's an hour and a half, and then I drive all the way to Brooklyn. And on the drive, um, like reading and alternately scanning the news, and. Um, Drive, I, driving while reading? Well, listening to okay. listening to stuff. Um, in some cases, I'm using like the text screen reader because there there aren't audiobooks for for all of the things that I wanted to read. Um, and I was actually reading um, a little bit of Hayek um, <laughs> studies on the abuse and decline of reason, which is the Selma great um, collection of his work. Well, I mean, no, not Selma. F. A. Hayek. Um, you guys know who that is. And at some point, at some point in there, I'm reading and I come across this passage where he's talking about um, nationalism and socialism and how they are the same thing, how they are after effectively the same sort of thing. And we don't have to adjudicate whether or not Hayek is right. Um, If you're interested in this, you can go pick up the book. I I would strongly encourage it. Hayek is brilliant in this remarkable way where I read him and I always feel, I will read the same thing five, six, seven, eight times. I probably read um, Use of Knowledge in Society twice, like every single year, in some cases, like more often than that. Um, And I learn something every single time. Um, And I've been working my way through this book, like back and forth, like all year long, um, just rereading different pieces of it, because he's just, it's so rich with insights. And I don't even, he might've been like 30 something when he wrote this. I'm certainly younger than I am now, but in any case, the, the point about populism and socialism, um, socialism and nationalism, um, and the notion that Bannon was articulating that we get to choose between Bernie Sanders populism and Trump's populism. Um, 
I'm I'm generally in, in agreement with Hayek on this, that there, the distance between these two things is not so great in some fundamental senses. And it's I find it disconcerting. And I do wish that when Steve Bannon showed up on stage and a lot of people were paying attention, that they actually had someone drop in who was capable of having an argument with him on the merits and dismantling his points. Um, I would love to see our politics be a bit healthier so that when it comes down to the Gilliam, the choice between Gilliam and DeSantis, that the conversation that we're having is about the actual policy differences between these men and not the specter of racism and the nonsense notion that Jim Crow is rising again. Or even worse, that these people represent other bigger national politicians. Precisely and you're, right. And you're right. You're voting for them by proxy. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's worth uh, keeping in mind, particularly with David Frum, who, if Michael was here, would say, you know, I know him personally <laughs> and, he's, and he's nice. And I would say that, too. I, I, well, I'm not I'm not insulting I, him in a personal way. I'm just I saying know. there he didn't come to play. But it's it's a, it's interesting because so a lot of talking past each other, a lot of <laughs> a lot of from types now, kind of the never Trump people. And these are a lot of people who uh, uh, were counseling before this midterm, please vote against every single Republican. These people who've been, unlike me, Republicans their whole lives and also more ideological kind of pugilists their whole lives, the Max Boots of the world. Tom Nichols also can be kind of thrown in this uh, care, uh, category, although maybe he's less um, well known as a Iraq war person. But what is David Frum most notorious for in Libertarian circles. Axis of Evil? Is, uh, well, yeah, one, my God. And which uh, Bolton's bringing back, right? Yeah. He's at the trilogy of... of, uh, of <laughs> the cacophony of horrors. Uh, but uh, he wrote a, a, a cover essay for National Review about the unpatriotic right. Mm -hmm. And it was a way to try to drum out of the conservative movement, Pat Buchanan, my best friend in the world, Justin Raimondo, and a bunch of uh, <laughs> other people on the more libertarian and anti-war edges of the right saying, you know, they started by hating war and they ended up hating our country. Mm. Um, and it was, a, it, it, he was engaging in moralistic name calling of throughout as a way to make everyone who didn't agree with him seem like they were on the other side. They're with international answer. They are, they are, they are part of this de deplorable in some ways, just kind of, we, we have to stop doing business with him. It wasn't an argument. And that was a lot of the discussion, the public policy discussion, the op-ed page of the Washington Post, all this kind of stuff in 2002, three and four, that, and certainly for crying out loud, the 2004 Republican um, a national convention here in New York city, which was held as close as humanly possible to the anniversary of September 11th mm. and featured if, if I've seen any speech that bordered on a fascist style speech. Is that Zell Miller? Be Zell Miller. Yeah. It wasn't the it wasn't the poet that gave us the freedom of the speech. It was the soldier. And don't forget how they sold Zell Miller that he was he was a lifelong Democrat who was so left out by his party yeah. in this time of patriotism that mm. he had to switch over to the other side. But it's interesting because a lot of those same people right now, in the course of there being never Trump, in the course of there being blanket, you have to vote for every Democrat now. Suddenly, um, I, I missed the memo where I ever had to vote for every anything. Get off me. Um. But they're using the same uh, rhetorical tricks as they did before. And you actually come up empty if it's ad hominem, if it's just I am going to find a way to put that person in a category that is toxic. Right. And therefore, I don't have to deal with him or her anymore. And it's finished. And when you're actually in a room with that person, they don't cooperate. 
they don't give off the radioactivity yeah. uh, themselves. And, yeah. if, and if they have a brain, and Bannon does have a brain, um, they can play the room differently. Uh, and it, it it's like uh, a lot of people who uh, were uh, originally uh, Trotskyites, the David Horowitzes of the world. Mm. Um, Trotskyites are famous for being really, really bad and pugilistic arguers. So you go from being a Trotsky out on the left and now you're a Trotsky out on the right. As far as I'm concerned, it's the same goddamn thing. You're still arguing like a jackass. You still are bad faith all the way down, hmm. uh, demonization all the way down. And you're not really attempting to persuade. You're attempting to demonize. And until the froms of the world, again, who I like, it's a decent man, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> until they come to grips, not just with their own policy mistakes, which are vast and legion, and they don't spend nearly enough time uh, examining how their current habit of mind led them to their previous follies, which led to the very amount of disillusionment, the great disillusionment mm -hmm. that we're having right now. Um, but also also, just their basic rhetorical style and and, and back and forth, they're just name calling. Mm -hmm. um, and you got to come up with something better than name calling, except to Stephen King, who's probably a racist. Well, there's plenty of other stuff that we. Steve I mean, King. Steve King. I, no, I mean, I mean the author. Oh, you mean Stephen the author? Stephen King. Enough. Enough. Just because he's a Red Sox <laughs> fan does not mean Stephen King is a racist. I mean, right? hello, <laughs> correlation, correlation and causation. That's how that's how racism works in, in 2018. <laughs> yes. um, there's plenty of other stuff we could talk about. We we, we ought to punch out of here pretty soon because I've got to go to Utah in the morning because it doesn't end. You're gonna. Um, Console uh, my love in person? No, I'm not, actually. It, it, it's racist for you to suggest You're going to congratulate Senator-elect Mitt Romney? Yeah, no, not that either. Yeah. He's not in Indiana. Oh, you said Utah. Oh, I, this, you're right. I was going to say that we should talk about Indiana. I did say Utah. <laughs> All right, we really are wrapping it up. It's, it's, it's the booze. He did say booze. Utah, right? I did say Utah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I was like, he's not in Indiana. But that's because I was about to say that we should talk about the Indiana Senate race mm -hmm. because I think that is very interesting. Joe Donnelly, who is a Democrat who supports Donald Trump's push to get a wall built, who is unusual because of some of his conservative instincts, but who Barack Obama shows up to stump for. And he's defending this seat. The Democrats do not want to lose this seat. Mm -hmm. Barack Obama puts himself on the line um, and he succumbs to Mike Braun, who was backed by Donald Trump. And you have Trump versus uh, Obama in the state of Indiana in particular. And, and I mean, for, for contrast here, you mentioned earlier, Matt, just the degree to which the Beto close call for Ted Cruz, who is intensely unpopular, could say something about where Texas is right now and where it's headed. Granted, this is all about turnout and enthusiasm and the contempt that people appropriately have for Ted Cruz. I don't know that there is anyone more unlikable in our politics than Ted Cruz. Donald Trump can be entertaining sometimes. Ted Cruz always makes me cringe. Every single day. I think about, I'm thinking about Ted Cruz now. I, I just, it's like, uh, my shoulders. Bunch, yeah. I can't even put my shoulders down. Duke chills is but, the look on your face. But the Indiana Senate race is interesting. And I, I wonder as we're getting ready to leave, because we don't, we're not doing the whole like 2020 thing. I just can't, I can't think about that right now. But at a minimum. Camille 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's totally going to happen. Um, it so won't. I'm not getting divorced <laughs> for you. Um, I don't want you to run. You're just going to get drafted. <laughs> um, but I wonder what you all think about the Indiana race and the Texas race and where things are. I mean, in one instance, you have Beto's, this celebrity, and he raised all this money and he nearly won in Texas. And on the other, you've got Barack Obama who comes in and he uses a star power and people are supposed to be completely sick of Trump and fed up with him. But 
when they had a Democrat who would have given them some of the things that they cared about, they didn't choose him. A couple of interesting points about Indiana. Uh, one is that of all of the polls uh, for the last uh, three months in here, not a single poll had my most of them had Donnelly winning, but it was more or less toss up. Mm -hmm. uh, but not a single one had there uh, was a, a Braun winning by more than four percentage points. He will win by nine, mm -hmm. eight or nine. That's kind of a big gap. That's pretty crazy. Um, that's what you would normally associate with. Well, there's a huge surge of enthusiasm, one direction nationwide, and it kind of swept him up and th there kind of wasn't. So that's curious uh, in its own. I heard some discussion uh, on the Twitters that um, Indiana prevents a certain type of polling from happening, like a certain type of questioning you were not allowed to do. Hmm, really? Um, yeah, like uh, having either cell phones or something. Oh, uh, that, I, th I thought it meant like you couldn't ask certain questions. I was like, uh, it, we're not there yet. I we? think it's more uh, more technology. <laughs> Another is that Braun used to be a Democrat, too, uh -huh. um, which is kind of uh, weird and interesting. Donnelly is pro-life, uh, um, so uh, that. But also you have a libertarian in, in the race, Lucy Brenton, who hmm. got the, I think, the second highest or third highest total of any um, uh, libertarian candidate uh, nationwide. She got, I think, 4.2 percent. She ran in 2016 um, for Senate in Indiana, got 5.5 percent. Indiana is a pretty strong libertarian state. Ten kids. She has an yeah, alternate. 3.9 3 percent. And anti-vaxxer. Okay, that's updated since uh, since I saw it earlier today. Uh, but um, Ten unvaccinated kids. Ten unvaccinated kids. Fuck. True story. Um, uh, but anyways, the last week, 10 days of the campaign, uh, Donnelly campaign, Democrats, three different, uh, at least three different uh, sources of the Democratic side were sending out mailers uh, and and even, I think, targeted ads to conservatives saying the real conservative in this race is Lucy Brenton, the uh, libertarian. Mm. So it's kind of interesting. I don't know if, if we can uh, uh, point to uh, correlation causation or anything else like that, but that the Democrat thought closing argument here and he was polling i think you know competitively up until in fact the last poll i saw he was up seven points mm -hmm. uh before election day so it seemed like hey maybe this is working but he thought i'm going to hype the libertarian at the expense of the conservative and then he loses by an unexpected amount just kind of interesting hmm. fisher well i can't say that i know a tremendous amount about indiana electoral politics but i can say that the the i from what I understand about the shifting uh, political allegiances of mm -hmm. Indiana, it's that they were once like farm aid, John Cougar Mellencamp, you know, mm -hmm. like the lunch pail union Democrats. But um, as you know, they, they, they might be among those people that, you know, Trump won, but also Republicans were winning much earlier because they felt left out, you know, and their, you know, pro union stance, their, um, you know, FDR uh, liberalism kind of gave way to a, a certain amount of, you know, kind of coalescing towards the the Midwestern values thing, if that's even a thing. I know it's a stupid kind of <laughs> phrase, you know, but uh, the, you know, the real America, the where it's pretty much directly in the middle of the country, like we're a flyover country. And from, you know, from what I've seen, it doesn't 
it's not entirely terribly surprising. Like, like you, you said, like, it's really interesting. Like Donnelly's pro-life, you know, like there's these are these are things that don't happen anymore. That's right. You know, you know like uh, but they used to all the time. Al Gore used to be pro-life. George H.W. Bush used to be pro-choice mm-hmm. until they ran for president. His nickname was Rubbers. <laughs> he hand, seriously, as a congressman in Houston, yeah, yeah. he was handing out. Uh, 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 condoms. Yeah. So I, I know I'm going all over the place here, but that, that's that's in in some ways that it's kind of interesting that Indiana is at that place because, like you said, it was it was either going toss up or maybe slightly for the Democrat, and it went hard for the Republican. I don't know that I have a big takeaway for that, except that this seems to be like one of those last places of the old America where. The you know like not to get all what's the matter with Kansas, but where those values of you know um, you know we're the working class and we need to you know have a certain amount of you know support and the government uh, gives way to a certain amount of you know right of center populism seems to be happening. As far as Texas, I never bought for a second that Beto was going to win, even when people were saying it was a toss up or that Beto was in the lead. I never for a second thought he was going to win. Kind of impressed that it was even as close as it was. But that's the thing. I mean, do you think that the proximity of that particular race, that how close Ted Cruz came to to Uh losing there, if that says something about where Texas is heading? No, I think it says about Ted Cruz. Uh I think I think it's I think Ted Cruz couldn't even own Ted Cruz finished second in the Republican um, for the Republican nomination by yeah. a lot. Yeah. Like, like, like Rubio was, was choking on dust, you know? Yeah. And if, and if Trump didn't run, Cruz would have been the guy. Cruz, Cruz was the anti-establishment guy. Everybody hates Cruz in both the Republican and Democratic it's parties. True. But he, he was the one that was sticking the finger to the, uh, the establishment. Just Trump did it crazier. Um, and I don't think Texas is really trending. You know, Texas still hasn't elected a Democrat statewide since Ann Richards. And when was that? Like the, the, he, she lost in '94 to George W. Bush, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, I don't. I, I mean, it's the combination of Beto putting, raising record amounts of money, mm-hmm. having the rock star charisma, mm-hmm. and running against the most he, he unlikable. Almost, he almost doubled Cruz in, in spending. Yeah, he was. A, say what you want about Beto, like, and and you know, none of us are you know get into the rock star politician thing. But he was a special candidate. You know, he was he was. And when I say special, I mean rare <laughs> in the sense that he was able, like 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 Matt was saying, he was able to reach people on that visceral level that few candidates can do. He didn't, you know, Texas is an enormous state and it's a hard red state. He wasn't able to pull it off, but it's the combination of that rock star charisma and the unbelievable unlikability of Ted Cruz that made it that close. But it's still, you know, it's still a Republican state Mm -hmm. and Ted Cruz still has a pretty strong constituency behind him. And he's very young. He could still run for president. My favorite description of that. Ted Cruz is. Like younger 40, than I am. Yeah. My right. favorite description of that. Um, Ted Cruz is younger than Tom York. <laughs> my favorite description of the Beto um, campaign was in this uh, Politico um, story. Did Beto blow it? Um, this was like from last week. This was before he'd actually blown it. Um, but I guess he'd blown it already. The election just hadn't happened yet. But they described his campaign as having superior branding and tactical malpractice. Um, and that sounds about right to me. Um, all of those people fired up. You, Matt, you talk about his positions being nuanced. It certainly no. wasn't the way he ran. No, but like yeah. it, it's his positions being not more interesting. His, no, yeah. just not part of his appeal. I yeah. mean, he's a, he caucuses with the Blue Dog Democrats. I'm sure like everybody, this happened to Howard Dean too. Howard Dean was in the context of American Democratic Party politics 
a center right guy. Absolutely. Pro gun. He, he was just hard uh, anti Iraq war and he, and he captured that. He's pro, and, and he was in favor of every other war yeah. um, that had come uh, recently. He was just against that. Um, I was uh, with him actually in Boston in 2004. I was able to sneak into a little private event that he had with his uh, Dean Screamer uh, uh, group. And he gave a, a, a speech that has, um, it's more of a, just a talk to a, a, a room at a bar that has stuck with me ever since. Hmm. Um, because I think it's uh, similar things have happened to Ron Paul and to other people who get caught up suddenly in a movement. Mm -hmm. And what he said was that um, being part of this wave, being part of this movement, and who knows how long it lasted. It was like maybe six months before it like, uh, blew up on him. The Howard Dean thing? Yeah, the Howard Dean thing. It seems so, like it was even quicker than that. Yeah, it might have been. But yeah. it, it, was, it was a thing. Um, it was a phenomenon. And he said, uh, being exposed to all of you changed me. Um, and it changed him into, for instance, getting super hyped up about uh, campaign finance reform. Hmm. He became much more anti-war going forward. Um, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he also got more interested in, in concepts like drug legalization where he had had not been hmm. uh, previously. Um, it's no, It was definitely not all. It was a progressive direction is the point. Like he started as a centrist and he moved way more progressive because he was caught up in the movement. I presume that will happen to Beto because that's like. If you get caught, if you are the darling um, and you're surrounded by those people and you are the avatar for their dreams, um, it's going to have an effect on you. Yeah, so yeah. I presume that the stuff that I found interesting about him beginning in 2009, um, specifically the criminal justice, um, uh, anti-drug war stuff, which will probably keep but more like the fiscal conservatism, the, sure. the pro-trade thing, the the not progressive stance on uh, guns, for mm -hmm, example. Mm -hmm. I think those things he's starting uh, to, to move the other direction. Although if he's pro-trade running against Trump, that'll be good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, for, uh, from my point of view, I would say um, I, I disagree slightly in that um, uh, I think Texas uh, chain. He had coattails. Pete Sessions lost. Mm. Pete Sessions is an 11 term incumbent Republican um, uh, pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, bad from my point of view on immigration, a bunch of other things. Um, he lost and he doesn't lose without the Beto swoosh. Uh, um, Jeff Blahar. I always mispronounce his last name. Blair. Player, you uh, spelled Blayhard. If you're gonna spell it Blayhard, <laughs> pronounce it Blayhard, motherfucker. Um, esoteric CD, yeah. uh, the great uh, 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 Twitterer and, uh, and a one-time fifth column guest. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, he points out that um, small state offices, I saw that, yeah. um, and and uh, and like judgeships and this stuff were just kind of cleaned Democrats, out. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's uh, throughout Texas. Is that right? Uh, it's probably more Dallas and Houston, mm -hmm. uh, but but certainly the highly populated areas. A, a significant change. So I think he, he will have a story to tell. Uh, but part of that story is he lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he spent most of that money. All right. Well, any idiots write anything that you gentlemen want to? I got, I got, I got a, some idiot. I do, and uh, we don't do this every week, but this is special. But real f first, uh, <laughs> uh, a quick shout out to the Onion for uh, the best headline in in a long time. Inconsolable Jeff Sessions tries to commit suicide by smoking joint. And for a while it became like kind of trite to share Onion headlines, but this one rises above yeah, anything I've seen in a long time. So, uh, so my idiot, uh, and it's and it's always good when the idiot uh, that I'm right, uh, who wrote something is a tweet because it, it keeps it simple. Hmm. Uh, Ezra Klein, oh. the great explainer, <laughs> very rich man, uh, <laughs> tweeted. 
New York Times is projecting Democrats win. The last time we saw a margin like that was uh, 2008 amidst a collapsing economy and a loathed war. Unemployment is 3.7% right now. America isn't at war. A margin this big is nuts. A pure repudiation of Trump. Lost in that is something that is really not true. America, America isn't, isn't at, at war. war. America hasn't been not at war in a real long time. When's the last time? I mean, without a single actual, I mean, I think probably Carter. I think because Jimmy Carter used to brag that uh, not a bullet was fired under his administration. I'd probably need to fact check that, mm -hmm. but it probably close to holds up hmm. as far as like not a single active duty deployment where uh, the troops were authorized uh, with deadly force. Um, troops died last week in Afghanistan. Uh, troops are in Yemen right now. Troops are in probably two dozen countries right now authorized for combat operations. Only two of those countries were authorized by Congress. Um, and Afghanistan is by far the longest war uh, the United States has ever been involved in. And next year, uh, it will be fought by and against people who were not alive on 9-11-01. So thanks for explaining that for me, Ezra Klein, <laughs> editor, uh, editor at large, founding editor of Vox.com. Every time you use the word explain, it hurts a little bit. The thing mm -hmm. is, people don't even use that anymore. It's a, what an incredible squandering. He's a guy with some talent. I, yeah. I profiled him for the Columbia Journalism Review about five, six years ago. Uh, go look it up. It's a phenomenal piece, really. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, they were sold as this thing. And for a while, people believed it in the age of Obama because Ezra Klein came to to prominence originally as a guy, even as a UCLA undergrad, who is sort of like uh, insurance splaining all the different yeah, he was uh, a uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, countries, uh, healthcare systems. In a way that was actually pretty good and helpful and and uh, and 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 clever, and Vox was started with this sort of sense. And you realize every time I think about like clicking um, either a retweet or, or or some kind of like a um, pushback on something that uh, usually Ezra uh, Klein or Matthew Glacius says, like that's their business model right now. It's like I am going to tweet something about how the Constitution needs to be rewritten because I didn't get my political outcome an hour ago when someone held a press conference. Um, they are trolling for hate tweets and uh, hate clicks from among people who think that their politics are stupid and that they don't explain anything. It's really um, it's it's kind of profoundly dishonorable and and even surprising uh, uh, on some level. Hmm. I didn't have a lot of hopes for them. I thought there was a bunch of like technocratic smell your own farts uh, kind of uh, <laughs> uh, uh, self-love about the, the whole enterprise, but whatever, you get a lot of VC money and it's fine. Um, but uh, at, at this point, it, it actually reads cynical to me. I, I will do a little bit of throat clearing uh, on, on the Vox.com. I've, I've contributed to Vox. They have they have um, allowed me to put some heterodox things out there. I've, I've put on some pretty hardcore libertarian pro free speech takes that I'm sure pissed. I know pissed off a lot of their audience because I got those tweets. Um, but they 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 printed them and they paid me for them. And I appreciate that. I also respect Jane Coaston, who's been a guest on the fifth column, who's, uh, I, you know, certainly, uh, an avowed left of center, uh, writer who I feel is an honest broker. Dara Lind is phenomenal on immigration. Very good on immigration. Very good, yeah. German, very, Lopez, very German good. Lopez, I've disagreed with on many things, but he's done some pretty good work on criminal justice. 
So yeah. it's, it's not an 100 percent, you know, thing. Dara Fair had enough. Dara had a great piece on the caravan. Actually, she did. I, I read that in late yeah. October. We should get her that on. I we shared to a bunch of people because it's it was really great. Um, we should work on that. She's one of the uh, the best immigration journalists in the country. Yeah. That question. So um, I think. Listen, I think at any publication you will find any publication, Matt Welch, uh, uh, a mix of good and bad things. Who, I think who the challenge. Shade I'm just saying. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I've just spent the weekend with the folks at Reason. I think everyone there is spectacular. Um, uh, but the folks at Vox, I've always thought that the challenge is the notion of, uh, of explaining the news as sort of the premise. Um, I don't know that we here try to explain the news so much as deal with the, the narratives that surround the news. And, and oftentimes I think that part of the reason why the, why undertakings like that are so fraught isn't only because of the moment we find ourselves in politically. And that's definitely a huge part of it. It's, they have these conversations where they're simply talking to people who completely agree with one another. And why are you doing this at all? Um, but it's, it's also a, a consequence of the way they imagine the profession. Well, when they talk about journalism failing, I, I think they are not giving enough attention to the ways our conceptions of what journalism ought to be are probably out of phase with what journalism can be. Um, the notion of sort of absolute objectivity um, and versus the, the reality of the subjective nature of the under of the enterprise. It just there's a distance between those things, a gulf that simply can't be breached. And I don't know that most journalists appreciate that much enough. Um, and I certainly don't know that most people who read the news appreciate that enough. They have an expectation that they'll be served the truth on a silver platter and that there won't be a great deal of work required of them in order to parse whether or not this is good or bad. I will add to my vigorous uh, agreement and uh, and motionless nodding uh, <laughs> while uh, you were saying that. Um, yeah, you're making me nervous while you're staring at me. Yeah, uh, it's because I keep breaking my glasses. Okay. We're drunken maneuvers, but uh, that... Their early um, um, go-to headline was "Everything You Need to Know it's About the worst. X." It's the worst. It's the worst. It's you never everything never, you need to know. You can never promise that. Yeah, you, you can like here is maybe a small decoder ring, right. to help you navigate through the universe. It's the best that we can do. Um, let's let's be open about it. We're trying to be helpful. We might yeah, have yeah. some takes the, in the it. Humble, the humble headline. Do you think there's, yeah, a, yeah. there's a market for that? Humble headline. Well, uh, sounds I, like a like is, a weed shop. From, yeah. uh, <laughs> but this downtown is the thing. Long Beach. I, and this is this is the thing that I, I, I meant that as a little bit of a defense of of Vox, partly because I just don't know that there's an appetite for that. I'm not certain what percentage of the population there's a reason is we're not rich. interested in that sort of thing. Yeah. Speak for yourself. Well, I mean, yeah, me. There's a reason I'm not rich. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not rich. Um you're not rich until you can tell everybody you know precisely what you think about them. And I'm always honest with you guys, but there are some people I just got to hold it in, got to keep it inside. There are things that I won't tweet that I think. How about this? You're not wealthy, but you're rich. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't really want to talk about my own <laughs> <laughs> my own net worth anymore. I, I didn't. Uh, I, I'm just saying I've I've done well. I've done well. I've lived a good never life. fly coach hashtag. And I'm not finished. Not finished. That's right. Yeah, I might. Oh, my God. I didn't get upgraded on this flight yet. Oh, I got to go do something about that. All right. We should get the hell out of here. Hey, look. Cannabis cookies. Exactly the 100 minutes. Bye. 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 We, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth 